What's up, witches? And welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we are going to be talking about Suzanne and Budapest and the Holy Book of Women's Mysteries. This book came out in 1989. You know, I'm a little nervous today. <laughs> you can hear Gemini laughing. She's got a lot of feelings about this. We have not spoken about this, but I don't know what's going to fly out of her mouth. So first, let me do what I always do, yeah. which is tell you a little bit about Miss Budapest. So she was actually born Zuzana, I'm going to massacre this name, Emesi Mokse in 1940, but she was born in Budapest, Hungary, which is where she gets her mm-hmm. name. Um, I can't imagine her as being anything other than Zuzana Budapest. Yeah. But, um, anyway, she lives in California. She's the founder of the Susan B. Anthony Coven Number no. 1, which was founded in 1971 and the first all women coven, well, first all women coven modern. We have no idea what yeah. came before Gardner. So we're saying after Gardner, she was, she founded the first all female coven, um, founded Dianic Wicca. She's written plays. She had a TV show. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, about uh, women's spirituality forum. Her mother, was a witch, so she's a hereditary witch. Her mother was also a medium. Oh. Yeah. She came to the U.S. in 1959. She went to the University of Chicago. 1970, I can't speak, 1970 came to New York. Uh, She became an activist in the women's liberation movement. She also created the Anti-Rape Squad and other movements in San Francisco. So she's, she's a feminist. She's been around for a while. Now, what's interesting about her, I mean, I think they've all had something interesting, but in today's day, we talk a lot about a witch hunt, right? Yeah. A lot of men feel they're being persecuted as a witch hunt. Well, she actually was involved in a witch hunt in 1975. Oh, yes. Yeah. She was arrested for fortune telling. Which she is just had, bonkers. <laughs> right? At her store in Venice, California, which to me just seems like the coolest place. But in 1975, I wasn't It's also the there. coolest like way to get arrested, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, you if you have to get arrested, get arrested for fortune telling. <laughs> anyway, an undercover cop went in to get a tarot reading from her. It sounds like, like prostitution. A little bit. Right? Like a little bit of like, you know, I'm going to. Yeah, like I'm going to massage parlor, but I'm yeah, not getting a massage. Right. But they actually went for a reading and she gave them a reading, but apparently that was illegal. So she was charged with violating a municipal bylaw that said fortune telling was illegal. I didn't know that was such a thing. But anyway, she and her lawyers um, called to the first witch prosecuted since Salem. Oh, goodness. At her trial. Anyway, she was found guilty. Well, she um, did do the tarot. She reading. did do the tarot. I just can't imagine that being illegal, which is like, in 1975, yeah. I just thought things were, I don't know. It sounds it? like the kind of thing that, like, they made illegal when California was founded and then forgot about. And someone just decided to mess with And they with her? were like, oh, uh, well, she was an activist. I mean, they do that stuff ah, all the time. That's true. So we'll get so her So they were like, ooh. Law. Yeah. Witch. Yeah, because I can't imagine that she was the only one. Yeah. No, there's no way. That's insane. Anyway, so she and her lawyers decided to establish Dianic Wicca as a religion. Okay. So this is the moment when it happens. Right. It's a real religion. So the state Supreme Court reversed the guilty verdict as it was unconstitutional and a violation of the Freedom of Religion Act. So that's how she got the whole thing reversed. Huh. But kind of interesting. So I feel like we owe her a lot. Yes. Okay, you're still angry, but we'll get there. But I feel like just everything that she's gone through, not just as witches, but as women, I feel like she yeah. has done so much. As women, we always have to kind of look back at 
the feminist movements that came before us and be like, thank you for working so hard because we're like third wave, third wave feminism now (laughs) is doing, I think a little bit more of a nuanced job. Mm. And like, they didn't have that luxury in second wave feminism. Like you, you were fighting for your ability to have a life, your ability to be considered a real person. And so, you know, yeah. Thank you, Susanna Budapest. Thank you, the people who worked with her, because I enjoy being able to be the breadwinner in my family and not, you know, be arrested for it. Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that we mentioned when it came to Gardner, that we can't hate Gardner. We can't hate on Gardner. Yeah. You know, because he came out when he came out and he was doing, and if it wasn't for him, you know, Buckland, Cunningham, we wouldn't be sitting here maybe having this conversation. And you're right. The work of the second wave feminists allowed us to now do what we do. Yeah. And if not, we wouldn't even be witch space because you have to have so many people and they have to have men too. And we're not anti-men in a witch space. We're just, when one comes along, then we just to, pick them up. We, we'll just pick them up and he'll be part of witch space. Yeah. But um I think we do also just like the feminine energy. So that's. Yeah. You know, for me, especially like I had so many guy friends in college that like, it's just nice to be surrounded by like-minded women it's nice to be in a community of other women where we can like support each other as women. Like I just, it's not something I've had for a very long time. So, you know, would I love to have a guy in witch space? Totally. But it is really nice to have a bunch of like female witches hanging out doing female witch stuff. And I also have to say, love my male witch friends, but the ones that I have, I've noticed, I don't want to say that they're reluctant, but they bristle a little bit mm-hmm. at how much you can do. And I don't think it's their fault. I think it's society in general. You know, if you're the only guy in the room, then we should be paying attention to yeah. you. And that doesn't happen. And when that doesn't happen, they get a little bristly. Yeah. You know, and I also get bristly when people don't pay attention to me. So I get it. Well, <laughs> and, you know, I'm a Scorpio. So you're extra bristly. You're just extra. a little porcupine. Yeah. <laughs> so shall we dive into this book? I don't know. I'm scared. Well, let's just talk about the stuff that I really love. Yes, Some let's of the start there. That were in here. Um, chapter one is called Feminist Witchcraft, and I love it. Um, she says a couple of things here that I love. We believe that women, this is a quote, lost supremacy through the aggressions of males who were exiled from the matriarchies and formed patriarchal hordes responsible for the invention of rape and the subjugation of women. And when I read that, I said, big yes. When you think about, even we were talking about the Yule um, podcast, we were talking about Yule in the last one, and we talked about how, you know, Saturnalia, other pagan traditions were taking into Christian Christmas. Mm-hmm. I feel that this is just another thing. It's true. We lost any power we had because now it's a male-based. All these religions became male-based religions with male gods. And she mentioned something else, which I love. There's my papers. Um, I love the sound of pages turning. A male god with no mother is an unsupportable concept. And it really made me think of that. Men don't give birth. And I'm not saying, again, we talk about balance, the goddess and the god. Yeah. So the idea that it just became the god, well, if it's just going to be one, then it should be the mother goddess. If we're going to just choose one, why did God become male? 
if not to subjugate women, not to put them in a second-class citizen role from the very get-go of the religion. And it makes me think about this sort of like modern usage of the universe as sort of deity, as the divine. The universe is typically referred to in sort of a gender-neutral way. The, right. the universe doesn't have a gender. Right. And for me, that makes sense. Sure. If you're going to have like one divine, well, why would it have a gender? Right? If it's omnipotent, if it controls all, gender seems like too mundane. Yes. So I, I can get behind that as an idea. Yeah. No, I mean, I could definitely see, I, I agree with you. I think that if uh, we're talking about the entity, right? yeah. and in Wicca, you know, you do acknowledge that there is something above the gods and the goddesses. Yeah. Right? And that thing is gender neutral. It's It's an energy. It's a force. It's not... I mean, I don't want to say petty, but when I think about some of yeah. the Greek gods, they can get so <laughs> petty. so petty. Or, or even the Christian god. I mean, my, yeah. you know, if you don't yes. do things his way, a plague upon you. Yeah. You know, that's a human trait. If a, a god should not have these petty qualities, a yeah. god should be a god. Um, but I think that if you were going to found a religion and you were going to give it a gender, if it's a creator, yeah, then that role belongs to a goddess. So the fact that religions just across the board just kind of wiped out women and put them in these secondary roles. Um, I mean, I guess I just never really. Th- yeah, think it's about not it a thing. Don't. Yeah, that really right, registers. Right. She also talks about how Christianity, they stole the Christian, the Christian Trinity is basically. Yeah. The, the, you know, made in Mother Crone. You know, what is the Christian is. Uh, I'm just uh, trying to think. That's uh, why I, I have to remember. The, uh, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, so you have this threefold, and where are they getting all these ideas from? Yeah. I started to get a little angry with that, not at her or the book. I started getting angry. At the started, concept. At the concept of so, so much was taken. Um, so, and then she went into the Greek gods. Oh, my God. One of the things about this book that I thought was I was not expecting was the fact that she had a lot of other people put articles in here, and they tell you in the chapters where some of the stuff yeah. came from, right? So you have articles by Starhawk, you have other articles by Budapest that appeared in other things. Yes. So it's kind of nice to see that. I wasn't expecting that. I thought this was just her. Yes. So you have different takes on here. Do you want to go into the Greek gods now? Like, I don't even know when. I can't even Well, here's you. the problem, is that she starts talking about basically Greek religion on page four. So, like, she didn't give me any time to, like, like something in the book before she just immediately said some shit. Well, yeah, but some of the stuff I just quoted was all from pages one to four. Yeah, but... Okay, so are are we ready? Go ahead. I'm shaking. I'm so angry. Oh, my So I'm going to start with this. Um, obviously, my opinions are my own opinions. They don't represent anyone else in which space. Um, if you don't like them, that's cool. That's just It's just my opinion. And that's, yeah, that's my disclaimer. Well, here's the thing. You know, when we're talking about Wicca, I just always said whatever I thought. Now we're talking about not Hellenismos because she's not Hellenic, but she is talking about your religion. A lot. So... Go ahead. Okay, well, so... Well, first we should tell people what she says and then tell us. Don't worry, I will. Okay. Um, so oh, the, she's going right to the book. I, I even notes. Post-its. They're of not post-its. Notes, it, notes, it's just me writing like, ah, oh, okay. every time something annoying happens. So on page four of the book, <laughs> there is a section from, um, she reprinted this from Sister, February 1974, The Turning of the Tide, 
how we lost it, which when you read it is basically like, how did uh, religion and mythology become not woman-centered? Right. Unfortunately, three, four paragraphs into this, oh man, I almost lost my mind. Neither was this reasoning unknown to the early patriarchs who gave us today's sexist society. Alexander the Great, in parentheses, the pig, burned down the libraries that contained the sacred scrolls of the matriarchy, the maps, the astrological discoveries, the medicine, the entire knowledge, know-how of how the woman-oriented culture that went before him. He knew that this would stop the propagation of the ideas of woman supremacy. You mean Alexander the Great, the guy who created the Library at Alexandria, the single largest compository of knowledge in the ancient world, the guy who took information from all of the places that he conquered so that he could aggregate as much knowledge as possible, that guy who also was incredibly, as far as ancient cultures go, gentle with the cultures that he conquered and allowed them to maintain their own ideas and beliefs and basically just was like, hey, here's Hellenic thought if you want it. That guy burnt down all of your libraries of woman know-how? Are you kidding me? See, the problem I had with that, aside from what you just (coughs) said, this book, I feel, needs citations. I want to see where you got this from. So many points that she made where I went, this is good. Oh, now, at the end, she does have sources, but... But she, they're not even really sources. It's like books I suggest you right. read. Yeah, that's what I meant. You're right. And that doesn't really tell me, did you get any of this information from there? I think if you're going to make these big claims, it's important to cite. And I think the difference for me between reading Budapest and reading Starhawk is Starhawk had this very poetic tone mm. that made it very obvious to me that these were like liturgical texts. This was a religious praxis. It wasn't necessarily about factual information. It was about experiencing the religion. And so for me, that was easier to digest. Like, Starhawk said some stuff I did not like, but Starhawk said it in a way where I was able to go, okay, this is someone's religion. I understand it. This is how she does it. The tone in this book is very historical. It's very, like, supposed to be factual the way she writes it. And not having citations takes away from that. So on page five... Okay. Um, this one made me even more angry. Oh, okay. On page five, she begins discussing... Basically, the the transformation from the quote-unquote triple goddess culture into the Greek patriarchal culture, mm-hmm. which also air quotes Greek patriarchal culture. Mm-hmm. First things first, just like historically, the patriarchy didn't exist in ancient times the way that it exists now, and it lacks a nuanced understanding of how history went to impose the kind of power structures that we had in 1975 that we that they had in ancient Greece. Like, yes, absolutely, it was patriarchal, but it was a very different kind of patriarchy. Um, she specifically states that the Greeks had um, priestesses that had all these religions, and they had a god called Dios, which is just god in Spanish? Well, yeah, maybe it's the same It's in- not. In Greek, it's theoi. <laughs> So, like, it's not even the right word. Okay, because, yeah, Dios is God in (laughs) Spanish, yeah. Um, They had a god called Dios, who was, quote-unquote, formally adopted by Hera as her son and renamed Zeus after her real son, Zagreus. There's a little bit more description, and the next paragraph says, Sthenelus, the leader of the Achaeans, disavowed Zeus as the son and therefore subject to Rhea, parentheses Hera, the triple goddess, and declared that he had no mother. 
Okay, well, in Greek mythology, there are four Sthenelises. Two of them are ancient kings who are basically irrelevant. Their names are just mentioned in the sense that they are ancient kings. Okay. Then there is Sthenelis of Mycenae, who is the father of Medusa and the Gorgons. And then there is Sthenelis the Achaean. Okay. Well, Sthenelis the Achaean is mentioned briefly in the Iliad as a suitor to Helen and a guy who then fights to protect her. There is no mention in the Iliad of a guy who doesn't think Zeus had a mom or who disavows Hera, the literal wife of Zeus, the most important god in the pantheon. Okay, but here's the question that I have for you. According to what she says, and I don't have it right in front of me. Would you like it? it? Seems like, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but part of what she's saying in, in those pages is that mythology has changed. In other words, the mythology that we know, the mythology that stuff is founded on, is different. And again, without any citations to back it up, I just want to know, where did you get this? At least tell me, I read this because I yeah. went to Greece and I found out. Like, I need that because if that's the case, I feel like then Hellenismos' foundation is shook if she's correct. Well, we don't have that anywhere. So Hellenismos is specifically a revivalist and or reconstructionist religion based on Hellenic practice. So it's based on the Greek gods of um, Hellenist thought. Of right, Greece. but what I'm saying is that if, if they've changed... If you look at it from a sociological or theological perspective, right. all of the gods have changed, right? Okay. Greek gods came from Etruscan gods, Roman gods came from Greek gods, but if you take them in a hard polytheist way, which I do, they're each their own deity of their own um, culture. Right. Even if you take them in a soft polytheist way, typically the way that that works is you not necessarily equate, but the gods of the same patronage are represented together. So Etruscan gods, Etruscan gods, which would have been sort of Greek and Italian gods prior to those cultures of Greek and Roman coming together, definitely were different and had different um, sets of beliefs. Cybele, um, S-Y, not C-Y-B-E-L-E, is thought to be a an Etruscan god. And she was sort of a, a Demeter-type figure of grain and, and plenty. But the changing of those gods um, historically, we there are texts about them. There is research about them. It's something that if you wanted to look into, you can. And so that for me was, I, I I'm so, I like I I didn't even know how to handle it because she says all of these things that are just factually incorrect. And that's what I wanted to know from, from you. a historical standpoint. Because see, I didn't know. Like, I know the mythology that that I know, the mythology that's current yeah. now. So when I'm reading this, one, I don't have citations. Two, I'm not Hellenic. Right. So I don't know, like, how far back does this go? Is she right in any way? And I thought that you would know. Yeah. And, and for me, like, I don't... The way that I looked at this introductory moment, it's either, at best, it's misunderstanding, and at worst, it's willful manipulation. And I don't have a problem if you're going to be the founder of an all-woman movement with willful manipulation. I don't have a problem with you, like, reinterpreting myths through the lens that works for you. But this is more than reinterpretation. But you need to then... This either needs to be communicated to me in a way that is um, poetic and liturgical so that it's obvious that you're not taking it as historical fact... 
or you need to be much more clear because like there are four Stenaluses. You picked four dudes and none of them would be old enough to justify this interpretation. Alexander the Great existed after major points in Hellenic history. So if he's the guy that ended the matriarchy, this talking about Greek religion is irrelevant. It's not, you've already disavowed what you're saying in the first four pages. I also think that if you want to, and this is going to be the English teacher in me, if you want to make an argument, then you need to back it up. And by saying Alexander the Great, the pig. I Okay, no, don't tell me the pig, show me. This is what I would tell my students. Don't tell me, show me and back it up. And you know what? Cite it. And then you know what? You're going to win the argument. I don't feel that she necessarily wins the argument. But again, 1970 something, it's different when you're fighting, when, you know, you have to maybe manipulate things. I don't know. And I also don't know, like, what is known about Alexander the Great or what was known about him in 1975. Because, like, right now we know pretty clearly that Alexander the Great was a gay man. Right? Alexander the Great was (laughs) super, was so gay. Yeah. And it feels really weird reading what is ostensibly a lesbian religious text being like, oh, also, forget this guy because he was a guy. Like, he also faced a a little bit of a repression because he was a gay man. He was the leader of a nation. He was expected to pass on airs. Like, him loving a man, at least in his case, was not necessarily considered appropriate. Right. You can have lovers, but you need to be, you need to get your shit together, man. Right. And so, like, it just, Everything about it just drove me crazy. And later in the book, she's got all of these quote-unquote feminist holidays. Almost all of them are Greek. And I I truly lost my mind. I'm going to turn to the Dianic tradition. Um, Diana is Roman! Well, that's true. Ah! Okay, before we jump... Before we jump. There's something that I I have to talk about. Because it made me bananas, and she brought it up again. Okay, so now we're talking about chapter two, Dianic tradition and the rites of life. And she talks about in the beginning, okay, mating rituals, figuring out who was, in other words, paternity was nonsense. We don't need to know who the fathers were. Only moms were important. Motherhood was a warrior's job. And rearing children was done by a community, women and men. Mm -hmm. So basically the women had sex with women, with men, whoever they wanted to. And then... You know, the idea of marriage was meant to tie women down. And back then, if we're going to go back, yes, it was meant to now I own you. Yeah. And now, you know, you belong to me. Our kids belong to me. You will work in the house. I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. Now let's move it forward. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a big problem because she says we should go back to this. The idea of women just having (laughs) kids. Yeah, free love. Um, and the men, that way that would end so much nonsense about the line of like, who's your dad? Mm-hmm. And all I thought was, bitch, who is going to be paying the child support then? Because who yeah. wants to have five kids? I don't know who the father is. And now it's all me. Yeah. I got to support all these kids. That doesn't sound feminist to me at Not all. Not at all. And that sounds, that sounds more like slavery because now the women are tied down to this and the men are running around free. It's one of the things that actually is part of this sort of modern third wave feminist movement because a lot of men bring up this idea that like, oh, well, most women get custody of the kids when it goes to court. Most women get... Yes, but that's because statistically men don't go to court for their kids. And so it's this attempt to like disavow feminist theory when in actuality the patriarchy convinces men that their children are not worth it. 
that, mm. like, ha- having knocked someone up is not worth your time or your support. You're better than that. Yeah. So if we want to have, like, a real feminist theory of, of marriage and child rearing, it's not about women. It's about the children. Oh, right? Yeah. We should be teaching as feminists that adults care about children. Exactly. Regardless of what your gender is. Right. Um, in this same section, she also starts... This is a pet peeve of mine. This isn't necessarily a Budapest thing, but I have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have yet. Um, the Dianic tradition. Then this is sort of her um, mythological origin story. She says, In the true beginning, before the Judeo-Christian Genesis, the goddess was revealed to her people as the soul of the wild. Judeo-Christian is bullshit. That's not a thing. People just put them together because Christians use the Old Testament. But if you know anything about Jewish religion, you know that it's, one, nothing like Christianity, and two, interprets a lot of those texts in completely different ways. And when you say things like Judeo-Christian, all you're saying is, I don't like Christianity, and this is why. Like, don't bring Jewish people into it. They've already been oppressed enough. You don't have to pretend like you understand their religion. Like, Judaism has a whole sect that, that believes in a female sort of aspect of Yahweh. Absolutely. And I'm kind of tired of, like, pagans stealing Kabbalah, but then being, like, Judeo-Christian. Like, you don't get to... You can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't do both of those things. So it's just pet peeve. Judeo-Christian is bad. Also, Islam uses the same foundation. They have the same prophets. Oh, yeah. So why are you going to say Judeo-Christian and leave Islam out of it? Probably because it was the 1970s and it wasn't a thing. Yes. Fair. Uh, (laughs) Just gets me so mad. Yeah. Um, There are some interesting things here. And again, not written by her, though, at this point. Um, a ritual encounter with selfhood. Oh, yeah. It was really interesting. I thought that was really good. I don't think that we do that. You know, this idea of taking control, having a birthday ritual, um, you know, having menstruation as part of a ritual, like that we are conscious and not in a way of like, oh, I got my period again, like I'm miserable. Yeah. But really exploring how our bodies change, how we psychically change how we spiritually can be in touch with different points in the earth when we're going through our cycle and as well so many women don't experience a cycle because in modern day a lot of us are on birth control in some form or other True. it's not a you know i'm not saying don't be on birth control because you want to like spiritually get in touch with yourself but get in touch with what your cycle is on birth control then like yeah. know your body right as much as you can right I think it's important back then and even now um, to really talk about that because I still think there's a lot of shame. I still think women want to cover up things or not talk about it Mm -hmm. because it makes men uncomfortable. And men can fight me, honestly. Well, in the classroom, (laughs) I don't know what we were talking about. And a girl said, oh, because I had my period. And a boy went, oh. And I said, okay, stop. Mm -hmm. I said, we're all here because somebody missed a period. (laughs) Okay, that's that was their reaction. Oh my god, I love that. Like, I'm not gonna if if you hurt your arm, you could come into class and say my arm hurts. Yeah. Why can't you come in and say you have cramps? I mean, I'm sorry, this is a really natural thing, and the women in the classroom are going to be bleeding on occasion. It happens. It happens. It's not know? that deep. But I just, but I mean, think about it. We have been trained to not talk about it, to go into work, kind of like, how do you feel? Oh, I'm great today. Why can't yeah. you just say, oh, can you just be nice to me because I have my period and mm-hmm. I just don't feel like you know being here. Um, so I, I like that. I also liked when she talked about the attitudes towards death in the craft yeah. and how it's just part of the cycle. You know, death is not the end. 
um, we have to stop being so negative about death because it is part of it. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, not that you should look forward to death, you should enjoy your life. But when it starts to come closer, like embrace that this is happening, because you're going back to the mother goddess. And, um, and you know, you'll be back. Don't worry, she still said some dumb shit about Greeks in in this chapter, too. Um, She just, so I guess this is going to be my my hot take for the entire episode. Every time she talks about something, she ends up trying to weave it into a Greek myth. And she says, I don't know if it's in this chapter or in the beginning chapter, she calls it um, the the goddess of 10,000 names. Yes. Which, like, if you're going to take all of the goddesses from all of the different cultures, do that equally. Because what it really feels like as I read this book is a a white lady reinterpreted Greek myths and then, like, sprinkled other people's cultures on top to kind of, like, make a soup of female goddesses. Like, she talks about Themis as the oldest of all the gods and how she was the law, and then they take that away from her. But, like, Themis was a titan and... She was law in the sense of, like, natural law. Her children were the fates and the seasons. She was the law of how the world works. You're willfully misinterpreting the... And I don't know how much research... Like, I don't know what 1975 was like, but 2019, I'm not having this. But here's the thing. Yes, they didn't have the internet, but you had a library. And if you're going to write a book and make these claims, again, cite them, do the work. Maybe it takes you five years instead of two to write a book, but you do it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something else that she wrote about several times. It kind of bugged me. This idea that if you want to come back, oh my um, God. you should have sex. No, you should be, you should place a dying woman in a room where people are going to have sex because the energy will, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's I can't weird. imagine getting it on with somebody dying in the next that's not sexy to me and then like I don't understand she this. had a whole thing about to choose a womb okay we have to talk about this what ha- what okay the first part first of all is part of my um mm-hmm. what do you call it my background yes she says that you consciously choose your parents and we have the opportunity to be born to those who can help us develop our spirits higher. And it was always my understanding, the way I was raised, the same thing. You choose your family. You choose your parents. Because, yes, where you are in the world, what happens, it's all part of, you know, the balance of where we all have to be born, where we'll, what we all have to do, and what we have to accomplish. Which makes sense. But then she says, uh, then she says, this is the part that got me, be careful. You don't want to, like, accidentally go into the wrong womb. And I thought, all right, are we choosing a womb? Or does it just happen? How do you just enter a body? Like, that just seems against what we were talking yeah. about or what she was talking about. I There's a say. lot of, like, obsession with wombs. And I've, I've talked about this before, this, like, second wave obsession with vaginas and wombs. And it just yeah. is weird. It's weird. Yeah. Like, I, it, Well, it's weird to us, I guess. Well, it would be, like... This section, I think, would be really cool to just discuss this idea of, like, choosing your parents. I right. Like, that's not something that I necessarily have a lot of contact with. It would have been nice to read in a way that was either poetic and liturgical or, like, this is the, the you know, astral plane shenanigans that happens. Right. Then we are talking about everybody's womb. It's just about, she just wants to talk about wombs a lot. Like, well, you might, you don't want to go to this womb, but you're going to want to find a regular womb. You got to find the, it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but with wombs. <laughs> and I'm just 
like, oh, okay, so wombs, got it. Cool, cool. You gotta find a womb. That's it. That's all I got from this. Um, My note for this section was, bro, this is weird. Underline, underline, underline. <laughs> oh, and then she talks about the Tantra, which... Ugh. I just feel weird about white ladies talking about, like, Hindu practices. Hmm. It just, like... I don't use chakras. I feel weird about using chakras in my practice for a similar reason. But, like, a lot of these older texts, and even as far back as, like, Crowley and Gardner, they sort of, like, co-opt Kabbalah and Hindu practices with zero nuance, with no research. And also cultural cultural appropriation was not a thing. White yeah. people constantly did. <laughs> we just did whatever we and, wanted. And, you know, nobody ever said, ah, stop it, please. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I think she does that. Oh, for sure. She talks about self-blessings, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. It's not initiation. It's self-blessing. It's like, it's lighter. It's kinder. <laughs> did you know that you left a note in the book that says she is Gardner reincarnated? Okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. Okay. Because you know what? There's so much sex here. She's There's so, so much, much sex. And I'm just like, she's lesbian gardener. And then, I, yeah, she's a lesbian gardener. But I kind of felt like it's not needed. Like I yeah. think she's making this religion so much more sexual that than it even needs Gardner to be. did. So I kind and of he made it like, really sexual. But so. I, I mean, I, I feel that Gardner was light compared to what the. I don't remember talks. Gardner ever talking about having orgies, and like she no, outright she says yeah. you should have orgies. Yeah. You have to have orgies. She you does a whole yeah. what is it, Esatara? Where they all have sex with each other? Yeah. And you're supposed to, you find different lovers, like, um... And then you also um, have the goddess come into your body and you have sex with people as the god. I feel weird about that. Yeah. And then I said, am I a prude? Is there something wrong with me? Like, I'm not... I mean, I'm pretty pro-ho here. Like, you should do whatever <laughs> yes! you want to do. Listen, my gods but, fuck all the time. Yeah, I mean, like... But I don't have to fuck them. Right. Like, like the whole I'm thing good. is, like, where is she going with this? But, okay. Yeah, it's, it's really sexual. Um... Oh, it's the drawing of the flowers, the Diana Gray, oh, right? That's yeah. the a lesbian orgy. That's my notes. <laughs> then chapter three, we can kind of skim. It's celebrating the holy days of the earth. So um, it's really just adapting the Sabbaths. Sure to... loved when she called Samhain Hallow Mass. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But wait, we should talk about that for a second. Yes, please. So she's adapted the Sabbaths to her Diana practice. Okay. Mm-hmm. But Hallow Mass... Um, she's got a pomegranate ritual that focuses on inflicting pain to men who have wronged women. Now, you know, she does mention that you have to be able to hex in order to heal. She is pro-hexing. She's got a whole ritual there on how to hex a rapist. And I'm not saying no. I mean, a lot of the, the a lot of the spells are about getting the police to go there mm-hmm. to get the man. I'm all for that. Absolutely. If you know who the guy is, you know, because yeah. how are you focusing your energy on the rapist, but whatever. But the idea of bringing pain to men who have wronged women. Yes, men have wronged women. Women have wronged women. Women have wronged men. Men have wronged and men. And like, what's the level? Like, like, if a guy doesn't open a door for me, does he get hit with this? Yeah. Like, like do you have a gauge? Wrong? Yeah, I, you know, so the idea of taking this beautiful sabbat that falls in scorpio season and turning it to <laughs> yeah you know let's get all men i'm i'm not on board and as a hellenic i don't like the idea that you're using the pomegranate because do not try and make persephone into a rape myth like rape meant kidnap also the myth is about not listening to women like it's not the it's the interpretation of persephone as completely you know can't do anything and just take like no that okay. no but a lot of people have seen yes that as i know a rape but myth. it makes me mad 
I know, but I mean, in, in a way, listen, I love the whole she goes into the underworld and Hades, but I do have an issue with the fact that he kind of tricks her and the fact that he's her uncle, but, you know. Well, yeah, the, the uncle bit we the just have to accept. It's just kind of creepy, the whole thing. But anyway, chapter four? Or? Chapter four. Which is chapter four? Women's holidays. Oh, is yes. It's a dianic tradition. All right, so here's the deal. Yeah. Lupercalia, not, not Greek, that's Roman. Um, Anthisteria, Greek. Thargelia, Greek. Pharmacos, Greek. Calenteria and Plinteria, Greek. Vestalia is not Greek, that's Roman. Um, Thesmophoria, Greek. Stenia, Greek. Uh, Skira, Stenia Greek. Stenia is just pre-Festivus. You ever watch Seinfeld? No. Oh, God. So, George Costanza's father hates holidays. Festivus for the rest of us. Yes. That's I've heard the quote. The feats of strength. Is there a pole? The, there's a pole God. instead of a Christmas tree. It's just an aluminum pole. What a nerd. And he's got the airing of the grievances where you just bitch at people. And you that. just And that's what Stenia was. It was a that's, bitching festival. I mean, in, yeah. And when I saw it, I went, airing of the grievances is what I wrote underneath it. Yeah, but it, it's different than that. No, I know, but it's just, that's how Skira, I thought. Era, Greek, Haloa, Greek, Eleusinian Mysteries, Greek. Um, all of the holidays except for two are Greek, and that is what drove me up and over a wall, because please, one, don't touch my holidays, two, do not misinterpret my holidays, three, don't touch my holidays. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't do it. What did you think of the way she described Pan? Um, that I, he's a feminist, that he loves women, he's unviolent toward women, he's the essence of manhood, he is wild, um, today would be labeled crazy, she said, he is utterly free. He is not dangerous to women or rapists. He is not violent. He loves solitude, is an artist, and he's pansexual. I don't necessarily dislike that interpretation, but when you raise Pan above every other Greek god, it, it sets me off. Um, because, I mean, one, Pan is is a minor deity. Like, yeah, Pan is just sort of like a nature god specifically to the wilds of Greece. He doesn't have impact on the world the way, like, Zeus or Apollo, or any of them do. And when you look into, this is, I mean, when I look into, because obviously this is not a common thing, when I look into the way she talks about holidays, and the way she talks about the Greek gods in general, it sounds like somebody who has access to, or a little bit of access to, the Starry Bull tradition. And the Starry Bull tradition in Hellenismos is a mystery religion based around Dionysus, of which I don't have a ton of information because that's not what I do, but basically Dionysus as a pre-Jesus sort of figure coming down to mortals. But Dionysus is um, either transsexual or hermaphroditic in this myth. He is starts as Zagreus but then becomes Dionysus through transformation. It's this very transformative sort of mystery practice. But it is still very like grounded in Hellen- Hellenic thought. So it's still very much... You know, the gods are the gods. Dionysus's dad is Zeus, and Zeus is a good... Zeus is a, a king of gods, and therefore we worship him as king of gods. And looking at this, like, she has this kind of transformative idea going, but it's almost like instead of putting Dionysus in his proper place in Starry Bull, she took Hecate and Artemis and Athena and put them into this transformative aspect in an attempt to create Dianic Wicca. Right. Which is why if she had just written it, like not a history book, I feel like I could have been less angry. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I could have been. Um, she tells us about the story of Kronos. Yes. Right. 
Um, oh, and I also love that she mentions, this was really good because I've always been against this. Today, male witches are often referred to as warlocks, which, which means traitor. Yeah. Uh, as such, it is unacceptable. They are the sons of the goddess. And I think that even Gardner said it. Yeah. Everybody's a witch. And, but here's the interesting thing. It's not women. It's not who started calling them warlocks. Yeah. It's men. And this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, this idea that men want the attention. Yes. So I can't be a witch. I'm a warlock. Which is just like, why would you... And I'm not saying all witches do that, yeah. but I've seen male witches who have said to me, I'm a warlock. I'm like, that's not a I'm, thing. I'm not calling you that. That's not a thing. If we go back to the beginning, it's not a thing. I'm not beginning. Again, Gardner is going yeah. to be the beginning for us because we don't know anything else. No, I'm sorry. You can't. That's that's crazy. So I love that she says it as, as well. Mm -hmm. And then she goes into the story of Kronos. And this is what she says it teaches us. If nurturance were left solely to men without the civilizing influence of the goddess, they would destroy each other and their sons as well. And the first thing that it made me think of was our modern day society. We don't have the influence of the goddess as a main religion. Oh, absolutely. And the people that are in power are not, you know, pagan in any sense. Yeah. So what do we have? We have wars. We have people not caring about each other. And I wonder, because she does talk about the idea that men are children of the goddess, that men have been relieved of their duty to nurture. So what's left? Right? Men are nurturing yeah. as well. Right? So what happens when you take that out? You are leaving these men without this balance. I almost feel like I'm, I'm in a weird place because I feel like, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses. But I also feel like there is a lack of, like, following religious text in our modern society. Like, even a lot of Christians don't actually read the Bible and understand Jesus's teachings because the people who follow Jesus's teachings are great human beings who give to others and care about building a society that protects people. And nobody in power, as much as they speak lip service to that, do that. Okay, I'm just, I have to interject a little bit. I'm not saying that there aren't great people in, in that are Christian because obviously there are. But I see a lot of people talk Right. This is what we should do in Christianity. Yeah. Right. Jesus said this. Jesus said that. But I don't see people walking the walk. I agree. You know, so I see a lot of people are reading the Bible. I've, I'm hearing more people come at me. I don't mean in a confrontational sense. Yeah. But I've heard people like actually quote lines from the Bible. And I'm like, dude, I know <laughs> Zero you. Zero context. Yeah. Yeah. I know you. You don't live this. Yeah. This is a lie. And that's the thing is, is I'm caught between this idea that like people use their religion to justify their existence, because I feel, I kind of feel similarly to this book. Like, I feel like Dianic Wicca is an excuse for lesbian orgies, the way that Z Budapest wrote it. Okay. But there's still, there's text in here that is good and is wholesome and is valuable. Oh, sure. But when you read this book, it's about how can I have sex with the most women possible and call it my religion. In the same way that Gardner was like, how can I have ritualized sex as much as possible and call it my religion. I don't really think that's what Gardner was saying. And I'm not sure that I got that out of this book either. Um, have sex with everybody is what she <laughs> said. That's fair. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Chapter six was about prophecy. We don't need to go over that. No. Um, seven was the politics of food by Mary Farkas. And all I got out of that was be vegan. Which you should be vegan. There you go. And then chapter eight, we get to witches, covens, shamans, magic, and ritual. 
And she talks about a Dianic coven. We get back to the 13, 12 women and a high priestess. Mm -hmm. She says a grove, tons of witches. So a bunch of covens together would be a grove. Now I feel like we need to have a grove. I would love a grove. Right. And then the laws of the craft. She says things come back to you tenfold. Bad, bad things that you do. Sure. Would love to know where she got that from. Um, I'm, you know what? But I'm not, I'm not objecting to that. Yeah. You know? I mean, we've said it before. If you know what you're doing and you do it anyway, then yeah, you should get whatever you get back. Just like if you innocently do something, I don't think you should get anything back. Yeah. I think you should, you know, try to learn a lesson a different way. But anyway, she talks about practicing solo. Um, she says, even in a coven, witches can still be solo. And I said, witch space. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> That's basically it. Um, chapter 10 is what? The Book of Life. A Hungarian heritage. So... We kind of get like a mini bio here and teachings from her culture, which I thought was interesting. It is super cool. You know, I almost felt like, hey, why couldn't this have been the whole book? Yeah. Right? Because it's at least something that like we know where it came from and, and it's the kind of thing that like hits home and is real. Right. And I like, I want as much genuineness in these books as possible. And like as much as Starhawk said things I didn't like. Starhawk said things that were real. Yeah. You know, she lived them. She did them. She experienced them. But I think that's what we've said with all the books. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if Doreen Valiente was a, you know, nationalist. Yeah. There's still something there. So, yes. But the problem I had with this is that as much as I wanted to love this section, she says her mom was an immaculate conception. Hmm. And I went, what now? <laughs> And I have to admit, she really, she really was uh, losing me. There's an 800-year-old family tree of witches. Um, considering the fact that there were no citations in the rest of the book. I don't believe you. I just feel like you're just telling us stuff to just tell us stuff. Yeah. Now, again, and now I try to say, let's look at this from a historic point of view. Let's forget that it's 2019. That's hard. <laughs> And it's the 80s. And mm -hmm. some of these articles were written in the 70s. Maybe that's what we needed back then. Yeah. You know, if we look at this book from the time it was written, just like I keep, I've been mentioning Gardner a lot today, because if we go back, that was needed in the 50s. Yeah. This was needed in the 70s. I think if this was written now, I don't think it would be published now. <laughs> no. Right? <laughs> no. But if we needed to hear this, if women needed to hear this to go, Damn it, I got this. Mm -hmm. To break away from some of the things yes. that maybe you are tired. Like, why are were all these men writing books about this religion? You know, um, they were matriarchal religions. So why are we getting all these books from men? Yeah. And maybe we needed a woman to not say, well, I worked with this guy, so I'm valid. To have a woman come out and say, yeah. listen, this is it. This is what I think. This is where the myths can go. Mm-hmm. And make up your own minds. You know, for a long time, this is going to sound weird, maybe because I am Wiccan. I had a hard time connecting to the God. Mm -hmm. I really was, why can't we just have a goddess? You know? Um, but I think that was just my own reaction. Also because of the way I was raised with just one creator. And, you know, I had to wrap my head around a couple of things. And now, you know, um, I have no problem with it. I, I like the balance that's there mm -hmm. between the two. Um, but I think 
I think women and I think witches, male witches, not just female witches. I think that everybody needed to hear this. I think yeah. everybody needed to see that there's another way to be Wiccan. And is everything she's saying correct? Nope. Maybe not. Maybe she made it all up. But the fact that there was somebody strong enough to fight for this, to make Dianic Wiccan an official religion so that people could back off, I think we owe her a lot of gratitude. I think as far as, is this a book that everyone should read? No. <laughs> no, see, I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say yes, but you should think. This is not a book. I think we said this with all the books, actually. You shouldn't read anything and go, okay, well, this is the law. I'm going to follow this mm-hmm. and go off your way. Especially with this book. I think you need to be a witch for a while. I would not suggest that you read this book if you're starting. And I all. will firmly say that, like, for those of you who are listening, and I've, I've heard from a couple of you who are, like, interested in Hellenismos, do not read this book. No. If you are just starting Hellenismos, it will mess up your understanding of Hellenic mythology. And we will be talking about Hellenismos going forward. So for yeah. people who are interested in that, um, we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, this is not a book if you're interested in Hellenismos. This is not a book if you're Wiccan and starting out. Yeah. If you are a self-proclaimed baby witch, do not... <laughs> Don't read this book. Don't read this book. But once you have... Once you already have your practice for a while, I think it's important because we forget... I mean, we always talk about the burning times, even though people didn't burn here. But, you know, and not going back to that, we forget that mm-hmm. there were times where women before us that didn't have any rights, didn't know where to go. That, yeah. you know, can I even do this? And here was a woman saying, I'm not putting up with any of this nonsense. You know, this is another way to go. Yeah. And for that, this book is worth definitely worth a read. Um, but you've got to be a witch already. I think if not, you're going to take a lot of craziness from this. Yeah. And it's not going to help. So I think we can put this book to bed. Are we, uh... Please and thank you. Okay. Tuck so it in. That's it. This is actually the last book of the year. Ah! So, um, so I guess that's it. But before we go, we have a little something to tell everybody. A little surprise. And I think... Do you want to tell everybody? It was your idea, actually. So we had talked a little bit, probably in a couple of podcasts, about how we both really love journaling and we both try to be really introspective. And you had mentioned that you do journaling prompts and things like that during each of the Sabbaths. Yes. I feel that it's, for me, it's a great way to check in for each of the different Sabbaths um, because the earth is changing so much for each and every one of them. And I feel like I need to connect with it. And one of the best ways to connect with it is to write down my thoughts. If I do a spell, write about how that went. Mm -hmm. If I do divination, I always write down um, when I do a spread. But especially during this different um, holidays, I like to write down things specifically in that, in a separate part. And so what we did is we have created a PDF document with each of the Sabbaths, um, a little bit about them, a little bit about what you might be doing at that time, and um, some prompts for you to work through. Yes. So basically, you have a little bit about the holiday, a meditation, a guided meditation, and then a journaling prompt. And you can put that in, what is the thing you call your book of wins? Oh, your book of wins. I want everyone to have a book of wins. (laughs) You can put it in your book of shadows. You could just have it separately as part of a journal. So you can keep journaling throughout. Maybe you attach this to something and you just keep going like every day. And then you just have your special 
uh, moments for the different Sabbaths. So that's like a little Yule gift that we have for everybody. Um, what we will do is I will put a link to it in our Instagram bio. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at witchspaceco at gmail.com. And I can send the PDF over to you in that way. Yeah, but... We're super excited to get to share it with you. I think it kind of ties into everything that we've done this year and a little culmination for me as far as like knowing what all the holidays are. There you go. (laughs) Finally. So um, look out for that. It'll go up on Yule. On Yule. That's right. So that's why we're doing it. We're telling you about it now because the next um, podcast will be after Yule. It'll come December 26th. Yeah. But we're we're super. Yeah. You're right. I'm I'm really excited about this coming out. We're super excited about it. We worked on it together. So it should be fun. And uh, we hope everybody likes it. It's just a little Yule gift because, you know, I'm all excited about Yule. And because we're all excited about you. Thank you so much for listening to us, for subscribing, for following us on Instagram, for just being the best listeners that we possibly could have asked for. Absolutely. And thank you to Sean McShane for the best intro and outro music we possibly could have asked for. Oh my God, he's the best. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us.